Before we open God's word together, let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we have already sung, we will not leave the Bible. It's the safest guide for for youth and the safest staff when, when years decline as well. We know, Heavenly Father, that this world and our time here are but a vapor, as thy word tells us, and we must keep our eyes firmly focused on thee and on the things that have eternal value. We do not know what tomorrow holds. No one really does. The scientists, the government, those in positions of authority, they are all guessing, Heavenly Father, but knowledge belongs with thee. And so, Heavenly Father, we turn unto thee, looking to thee for words of comfort, words of instruction, and words of clarity in this confusing time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In light of uh, today's events, and uh, the, the, the situation that we find ourselves in as a society, it's always good to hear sound words uh, from one who has wisdom. And so if you'll turn with me this morning, I'd like to read a portion of scripture from the first and second chapters of First Timothy, Paul's first letter to Timothy, starting in chapter one. <clears throat> I'd like to begin reading with the 18th verse and go into the second chapter. This is Paul writing to Timothy. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. I exhort, therefore, that, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. I'd like to conclude with the eighth verse. Let's be okay. I confess that I've been following this outbreak which began, it seems, in Wuhan, China, for a few months now from its earliest days because I was shocked to see the reaction 
of the Chinese government to the spread of this epidemic. It seemed different to me, and so I've been reading up on it in the evening and trying to better understand it. And it's fascinating to watch responses and to see how people react. In the Old Testament, God said that he drives men to destruction and says, repent, ye children of men. We have been very comfortable in our modern age that we have bent our environment to our will. Things are too hot, turn on the air conditioning. Things are too cold, turn on the heat. Do you need something? Stores can be open 24 hours a day. Uh, you want something fast? Amazon Prime will get it to you next day, or even same day, perhaps. We've become very used to the idea that we are the lords and masters of our environment. This pandemic has exposed the fallacy of that thinking. As governments race to shut down borders and to contain the spread of something that cannot be seen. I don't intend for this to be a fear-mongering sermon. And we'll talk a little bit more about fear later on. The good news is, this virus isn't particularly dangerous, especially to the vast majority of the population. But the effects of it are very interesting. For the first time, we see celebrities struck down before the common men with this virus. Struck down, I'm using uh, perhaps a little bit theatrically. They have it. Wealth, privilege, social position does not buy you immunity. Pro athletes in the prime of their careers are also getting it. It does not discriminate. And so we realize in the face of something like this that indeed no one is particularly special. In the world of social media, personalities rise to the top and influence trends. But this is one trend that personality that, that is that totally ignores personality. In times like this, it's always useful to turn to the Word of God. The advice that we can glean, I'm so thankful for these letters to Timothy, the, the personal sorry, the personal touch that he, he puts into these letters, how he speaks with Timothy. I can kind of put myself in Timothy's shoes, as it were, and listen to the same good advice. And it, it helps not only still my spirit, but re, recalibrate my perspective, help me to refocus. And there is something, I think, in these words that we have read together that, at least speaking for myself, I think, I have not put enough weight on. I have ignored. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, 
the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That was the verse before the verses that we began reading. Look at the weight of those words. Consider now that Paul was writing from a prison cell to his son Timothy. Under the authority of Rome, with no freedom of his own, under quarantine, if you will. And yet he recognizes the lordship of the one who controls the whole of the universe, the one who is eternal, the one who has always existed and ever will. But notice he includes an attribute that we often don't think about when we talk about God. He is invisible. Not visible. We cannot see him. And of course, in our modern age, we're pragmatic people. We only worry about those things that are visible until something like this happens. Think about that for a moment. All of these protocols, all of these uh, you know, masks and hand sanitizer and washing and that, all because of something that cannot be seen. A very real response to something that cannot be seen. Yet how many do not see this invisible God and give no thought to him? Prove him to me and I will believe. Do they say the same thing about the virus? If nothing else, this highlights for us, for us the importance of realizing that there are things that are invisible to us. And perhaps, perhaps, people will give some thought to a God who is invisible and much more powerful than any pathogen or virus. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies that went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. I want you to notice, those things that he mentions to Timothy, those are all invisible things too. The warfare is a spiritual one. Paul in another place writes that our warfare is not carnal, but is spiritual to the tearing down of strongholds, not physical strongholds, but spiritual ones. Holding faith, faith in an invisible God and a good conscience. Nobody else can see your conscience, but you must take care of it. You need to hold a good conscience in whatever you do. What does that look like? You know, I've been thinking the last couple of weeks about a verse from the Old Testament from the prophet Micah, and I'm just, I'm, I'm absolutely bowled over by the weight of the words that the Lord spoke through him. He says, what doth the Lord require of thee? To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That is how we hold a good conscience, brothers and sisters. Do justice. You do justice. You don't demand justice from other people. You do it. When you have a choice between being unjust and just, choose the just thing. You do what is right, in simple language. 
do justice. But then it tells us, love mercy. Can you say that you love mercy? Do I love mercy? That's a question I've had to ask myself. Am I more willing to apply justice to someone else than mercy? Do we figure someone had it coming? There was a notable Iranian cleric who told his followers on Twitter that the COVID-19 virus was a punishment from Allah because of the Chinese treatment of the, the Muslims in, in, the, in the Ugar province. He got the virus, the same Iranian cleric. Irony? Justice, but what about mercy? It's so easy to forget that. We want to apply justice to other people and love mercy for ourselves. You only need mercy when there's been an infraction. When you've done something wrong, then you need mercy. You don't need mercy if you do the just thing. So love mercy. And the final ingredient, and this puts the other two in context, walk humbly with your God. In the Old Testament, it says, The Lord is in heaven, and thou art on earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. That talks about perspective to me. When I realize how great God is, and how much I need his mercy because I fail him often, that produces real humility. And then I find it no problem to show mercy to other people even when justice perhaps says that they don't deserve it. We need to hold these invisible things in sharp focus, brothers and sisters. And for my friends that have not yet embraced the truth, hopefully you realize that there is an invisible world that has consequences for you as well. The other part of this invisible world I want to talk about, and this is the part that I mentioned at the beginning, the part that I think I have neglected and I feel that probably as a church, even as our denomination, we have neglected. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Christ told his disciples that the Lord's house was to be called a house of prayer. Is that what this house is? Or is it instead perhaps a house of preaching? Or a house of singing? Or a house of big events? What is it? You see, prayer also is invisible. When people are praying at home, we don't see that. No one sees how much time you spend in prayer. They may see me up here, up here inside this wooden tub talking, but they don't see me at home and how much time I spend in prayer. 
but prayer is something that is not only incredibly powerful, but also touches on, on things that, that nothing else will. One of the common phrases that we hear from south of the border from politicians is that when there's a disaster, they say our thoughts and prayers are with the people. And it's become almost a hackneyed phrase that, that uh, uh, atheists and unbelievers make fun of because they realize it doesn't really mean anything. It's just sort of a general indication of, of, of remorseful feelings and sympathy. That's all it really means. But what is prayer? Prayer is where we reach into the invisible. And in reaching into the invisible, we touch the invisible God who has made all things. Prayer is a spiritual discipline which sometimes impacts the physical. The problem is we only pray when there's something wrong in the physical. Isn't that the case, dear ones? Thoughts of prayer sometimes are far from our mind when things are going well on the physical level. But when something goes wrong on the physical level that we can't control, then we turn to prayer without realizing that prayer is first and foremost spiritual. Listen to the words of Paul. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. There's a death blow to those who think that uh, God determines ahead of time who is saved and who is damned. We read clearly here that his will is that all would come to the knowledge of the truth. But is that our will? Is that something that we give a lot of thought to? We see the numbers of those that this virus has taken mount up in the news, and we're concerned. But are we concerned about the thousands, perhaps millions, that slip into eternity every day or week? The majority of which are totally unprepared to meet the invisible God that they have ignored their entire life. So how does prayer work? If God wants all men to be saved and he expects us to pray, how does that work? First, we need to put on the mind of Christ. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. That's the eighth verse of the second chapter. Notice that the first responsibility, excuse me, the first responsibility in prayer is on us. We need to lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Prayer begins with introspection, with looking inside first. Once we have done that, we are equipped now 
to also pray for others. God has granted all of us a free will that we will be responsible for. But he has granted all of us a free will. And he will put thoughts in our minds that we need to make a decision on. Perhaps even as we're doing this morning together, as we consider these things together. So when we pray for someone else, what we are really praying for and sometimes we are frustrated when we pray for so long and we don't see a result. What we are really praying for is that God would put a thought in the mind of that person and that they would decide to do his will. That's his will, that all men will be saved. So when we pray, we need to understand that God is not some genie in the bottle that we simply make a request and it happens immediately on the physical plane. But what we need to believe is that every prayer is effective because it is operating on the spiritual plane. There are many admonitions in Scripture to tell us not to become weary in prayer, that we should continue asking. The Lord gave us the parable of the, of the widow and the unjust judge for that very reason. But the temptation is, when we are focused on the carnal plane, we do not see the result of our prayer, and so we give up. We stop praying. Brothers and sisters, that's a problem of perspective. Every prayer is not only heard, but effective. But God also allows us the mastery of our own will. We will give account for it, but he, he, in his sovereignty, has decreed that we have a choice. And so we need to keep praying. Because we do not know when someone will finally bow the knee before that invisible king and give him everything. I mentioned already that prayer is important for us. We need to lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting. Crises bring out the best and the worst in people. I'm sure you've seen stories of people behaving very badly in the shopping centers and uh, in other ways. Other people being very unselfish and some frontline hospital workers working tirelessly and even, even collapsing on the job because they're doing their very best to save whoever they can. It brings out the best and the worst. But when we do what the Apostle Paul says, what he advises to Timothy, who was a young man, is to lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting. Why? We can read in 2 Timothy 1.7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Prayer first and foremost changes us. But it is not ineffective with God. It's not wrong to pray for ourselves. But our prayers should never end 
with ourselves. Consider our Lord Jesus when he was here. Many times it says of him that he awoke a great while before dawn and went away apart to pray. That time of communion and prayer, it's interesting, those prayers are not recorded for us. I sometimes wonder why. Why didn't God see fit to reveal what the Lord prayed for in those hours of prayer that he spent with his Father? But perhaps that was too intimate, too personal for us to have a glance into. But I do believe that he did two things. He prayed that his Father would be glorified and that he would be strengthened, but then he also prayed for his own because he told them that. He said of Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith would not be shaken. He prays the same prayers for us. Do you realize that, dear ones? We think of prayer as being a one-sided thing. I think he's still interceding for us. I know he's still interceding for us on the right hand of the Father, still offering prayers on our behalf through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we do not need to fear. That's not the spirit that God has given us. But of power, and I would argue that that power is a spiritual power. When Jacob wrestled with the angel, he was given a new name, Israel, Prince with God. And the explanation from the angel was this, because you have have. Uh, wrestled with God and prevailed. Do we wrestle in prayer? Or is prayer something we tack on at the end of the day when we're tired and falling asleep and so we keep it short and think I'll do better tomorrow? We've been given power, dear ones. The power is an invisible one. We don't always see it working on the physical plane, but it is there nonetheless. And every so often, the Lord gives us a glimpse of his of His limitless power when we see things done in the physical world that we have no explanation for. But that's not just the one prayer that was effective and all the other ones were a waste. They all have power. Why? Because they depend on the power of the one who answers those prayers. So, dear ones, I want us all to be encouraged as we conclude this message. Not only have we not been called, given a spirit of fear, but we've been given a position also where we have power, power with God. God expects us to use that power. When the church used that power, amazing things happened. It's no secret that we have a lot of empty benches here, not just this Sunday, but many Sundays. It's no secret that the younger generations are turning away from the faith of their fathers. It's no secret that the trend in organized religion is declining. But it has done that at other times. There's something that the Lord told Solomon, and I'll probably misquote it. When Solomon built that great house for the Lord, the Lord said, but if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. 
I will hear from heaven. And I will save and I will heal their land. Let's not neglect this avenue of tremendous power that the Lord has given us. It's quite possible that many of us will have some time off work in the next few weeks. We may see further restrictions. It's already happening in Austria and in France. Dear ones, redeem the time. Pray. We have an invisible, mighty God who hears. May the Lord add whatever was lacking. Amen. What a brother. Loved ones, I admit to being a, a bit rattled by um, the events, the rapid turn of events that has happened. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not concerned so much the health implications for my immediate family or um, our society as a whole. I, I guess there's serious things that will happen, and, and I'm concerned about death rates um, just like any other person would be. I'm more um, rattled, was a bit more rattled, about what's the effect going to be on our congregation when we're not meeting maybe as frequently as, as we, we're apt to do. Will we grow more distant? Will things cool off a bit? Will, um, I don't know, the, the possibilities were going through my mind. But then as I listened to the message this morning, uh, I was reassured by the Lord, by his word, that it doesn't have to be that way. Even if we are restricted in our gatherings in terms of um, not seeing each other as often as, as we would like or as, as our practice, that God can supply. And one of the chief means that he can supply is through prayer, the prayer of each one of us individually. So brothers and sisters, why don't we covenant together? Why don't we commit together to while we're apart, to, to pray seriously, individually, consistently for each other and to experience the blessing that God wants to pour out through that as each one of us gets on our knees individually. And so that when we are able to uh, meet together again on a regular basis uh, as frequently as we ought, we, our prayers can be more effective, our fellowship can be more effective. Uh, God can bless us in maybe more visible ways I think we need to realize that I think the message this morning was to be primed for the invisible, to be prepared to do battle in the invisible on a daily basis on our knees. Brothers and sisters, we all, I know, I desperately need to take that more seriously, to set aside that time and that portion of my heart to daily pour out before the Lord, all my heart, completely, everything. The other thought I had in closing here was, the nature of my prayers and the nature of each one of our prayers, maybe we ought to be praying a bit more like the Apostle Paul prayed for his, those that he was in charge of, those that he was so concerned about. So I'd like to leave you with one of his prayers for one of the churches that he had never even seen, the church at Colossae, never met them. And yet he could say, this is his prayer. For this cause, we also, this is Colossians 1.9, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Paul says, I've never even met you people, but I pray for you daily. Do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, 
that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful to every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, <laughs> unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. May the Lord increase our spiritual understanding and wisdom so that we could each walk worthy of him in all pleasing. May he bless this word that's been shared this morning and encourage us all individually as we go back to many that uh, were not able to gather with us this morning and share that word of encouragement with them. This concludes our service.